Yeah, do you think people hate listening to video games, Hot Dog? I I, I, I think <laughs> we, we certainly have some hate listeners. Mm. Okay. Like let's, just statistically. Well, let's give them something to hate. I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm tired. It's time for episode number 360 of Video Games Hot Dog, the one where Kevin is barely here. Kevin. Yeah. I, how do you... I don't fucking know. I so I am mm. based like I'm only a little bit older than you. I'm uh-huh. only five months older than you. If I don't sleep, like at least say six hours uh-huh. at night, like my entire body stops working for the entire next day. Just everything is broken. My stomach is all messed up, and my joints hurt, <laughs> and I I get a a I don't know a. a chitinous crust <laughs> on all of my on all of my exposed skin i i don't understand how you have been able to maintain this so one thing you did was that you put off that you you yeah. were very efficient you put off like an entire year's worth of work and did it all in <laughs> four week. or five days <laughs> yep. um so there's there's that but you you just sleep like an hour at a time kevin kevin was doing all of the stuff that kevin has to do on uh, Reckoning at Gun Manor, the West of Loathing DLC that just launched this very day. Yep. Did you learn how to do polyphasic sleep? I didn't. I okay. Just, I just figured, like, no. You were one of those Boston kids. <laughs> I, for, I forget which school you went to. Yeah, uh-huh. it seems like there was probably like a room in your frat for polyphasic napping that you yeah. scheduled time. That would that would be way more organized than we were. It. You must have looked into that for real, right, Jim? Uh, yeah, I that did. seems like the kind of thing you would. I, I did genuinely but, investigate, and the time to do it would have been like the time between uh, when I was laid off, or when, basically when the company I was working for at the time just blew up, um, and any time I had any sort of obligation at a certain time of day, which was like a couple years later, and I just missed my window. I guess you have obligations at specific times of day now. Uh-huh. Like, also, now I have like a wife that has a normal a, job. R- yes. So you have yeah. to constantly go places on the weekends when they're crowded, uh-huh. and that's terrible. It's weird. Um, <laughs> I don't know why anybody does it. Oh, like, yes. Everybody do. goes there when it's crowded. It's stupid. It's their only option. Yeah, I guess so. I. I, mean, I guess I could break in late at night during the week. <laughs> right. <laughs> to like the beach. Just, they yeah. could just skip <laughs> yeah. sleeping that night. Mm. Yeah. Just stay up all night. Just be real tired at the beach in the dark. That's just as good as going oh, when man. everybody uh, else is I, there. I'm like, I'm I'm at my peak physical condition at like 1 a.m. Huh. Huh. What does that mean, peak physical condition? I, I actually mean like peak mental condition. I'm okay. like <laughs> most awake. Yeah. Yeah. I'm most capable of like of thinking and doing interesting work, I think, like pretty late. Hmm. Eh, maybe it's because you don't drink. It could be. I always thought it was my chronotype. Maybe I'm only but maybe I'm only productive chronotype. in the morning. Maybe I would be a productive word. at it's night. 
Except I just always, the longer I've been awake, the more I've, the more alcohol I've had to drink. So, Riff, for reference, <laughs> your chronotype is all times. Yeah, your well, chronotype is like 1D6. Yeah, kind of. Each yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, it's not all times, but it might be any arbitrary time at yeah, any arbitrary fair. time. <laughs> yeah, up, up until like my mid-30s, I felt like my chronotype was all the time. What does chronotype mean? Oh, it just means like when you are most efficiently awake. Like uh, a morning person, that's a chronotype. Yeah. Okay. Or like yeah, a night I, owl. Mine is like, yeah, mine Mine is more like, uh, yeah. Well, for example, like yesterday I went to bed at like 8 p.m. and I woke up at like uh, 6 or 7 a.m. this morning. Wow. Uh, that but like, awesome. <laughs> and uh, well, yeah, it's I I like when I'm on this kind of schedule because when you wake, I don't know how it works, but when you wake up early or when I wake up earlier in the morning, the day feels twice as long. Well, like, right, like if the, you're if you're there for the lit up daylight part of it, that yeah. your human your human body and brain understand that it's daytime. Well, yeah, and, and just like even if I'm up for the same number of hours. The, the daytime hours seems that's like an more interesting hours. trick yeah yeah uh, uh, but like th- this will like if I don't do anything to try and like uh, 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 affect mm. this on purpose if I if I just continue to like go to sleep go to bed when I'm tired and wake up when I wake up then this will drift by like it'll go south by like an hour every day yeah or possibly two hours until once again i'm waking up at six in the afternoon (laughs) yeah that sounds right that sounds like for me my my natural sleep phase is probably like 4 a.m to noon um and by natural i'm sure this is something that like i uh i have accidentally done to myself as opposed to something i was born with uh but like if if i if i ever like I i can work really hard or like take advantage of like jet lag and be a morning person for like a week and then yeah. it's gone. Yeah. I, I sort of converted. I was sort of like that, uh, especially when I was working for myself for the first time and working from home, yeah. my sleep schedule got just way jacked and was not ever consistent, but then <laughs> it was super buff. Yeah. yeah it was just ripped. <laughs> just, just abs. Just, just every day had its own six pack. Yeah. It was a six o'clock pack. Two, and then two, the next day it was a seven o'clock pack. Packs. And then the next day it was an eight o'clock pack. Uh, but then I, I went to Europe, came back, jet lag, got me up at like five in the morning. I thought, huh, this is pretty good. And then I have more or less been a morning person ever since then. And that was like 10 years ago. Like, I just, I don't have any willpower for uh, waking up at a specific time, like, like with an alarm clock or whatever. Oh, I don't either. I just started. Oh, you just, you just do it naturally. Wow. That's yeah. a good trick. Yeah. I haven't used an alarm clock in years. It one, I mean, I get up later in the winter than I do in the summer hmm. consequently, but like, yeah. There was one time I tried to like become a morning person by just getting up when my alarm rang and I would I just set the alarm for like 7 a.m. every day and didn't actually change when I went to sleep. Uh-huh. And that lasted like a week. Yeah, that it, <laughs> it seems just like all doesn't... of your efforts last a week, Jim. It's <laughs> it's it seems about well, that you consider is... just doing them for more than a week. Uh, well, a week is I I don't I, I I this is probably not literally a week because a week is just kind of like 
a convenient span of time that sounds about right that I can round to. Okay. What if it was, te- I mean, maybe your efforts would work better if we use decimal time and uh, the <laughs> basic period was like 10 days. We could try that. So 10 day weeks, 10 week months, 10 month years. What is, is there a math savant in the room that can tell me what 10 times 10 times 10 is? <laughs> uh, how com- how that compares to the actual number of days in a year or well it's like three years okay a little less than three years um the earth would not be in anywhere near the same place Mm -hmm. uh tilt wise uh, at any given point or just absolutely so we'd also have to well but i mean that's always you're never in the same place twice because we're hurtling away from the center of the universe right so the earth is on just like a weird ass spirograph sine wave in sure. one direction, unless it's which not, is a problem for time machines relative to what, you know? Yeah. What does anything even mean, man? If you really think about it, man. Hey, we finished our uh, betrayal at uh, House on the Hill. Oh fuck! Wow. Legacy oh, yeah. since the last campaign. Yes, yeah, since there's the last ending. Yeah, I, it's, there's I a, still haven't got a chance to start it yet. The ending. Uh, the ending is the game becomes a replayable, like right. second edition of Betrayal at House on the Hill. Oh, uh, and there's like a lot of scenarios like in that concluded state that you won't have seen in the. Yeah. I, what I want is, uh, I was actually hoping you would bring the copy back here. It's fine. It's not important. Uh, I want to reconstruct like the legacy deck that gives you all the instructions on how to run the campaign is numbered so that if it like falls apart, you can put it back together. Uh, I want to draw a sort of map of the campaign possibilities and sort of map out like what different okay. things can happen just for my own edification. And then mm. maybe I'll make a document that also will. I read be... through the, or skimmed through the, um, bleak journal, which is sort of all the like, mm. narrative mm-hmm. bits. And I was like, huh, we totally did not encounter a bunch of giant ants. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we didn't see. Apparently every, the first haunt is always the same. The yeah. last haunt is always the same. And there's one in the middle. That's always the same. Everything else has three options. I think yeah. even even beyond that, I think my understanding is that there are scenarios that you can't get in in the in the campaign because that would only add up to how many is that? That's thirty three plus yeah. and there's fifty. Plus three, there's so and there's fifty in the, yeah, so there's in the yeah. fourteen. 14 um, right? Yeah, so there's some that are just there for like repeatable uh, haunt play. Also, a lot of them are locked off depending on what omens you end up with. In your deck, right? Because you so can destroy some of them. Yeah, that's a weird yep. thing that means that oh, yeah, you like, end up with a copy of the game that is never going to trigger a specific haunt. That's a good point. Or uh, a whole column of haunts, potentially. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it was... The games, we did just a marathon session of five games in one day because Kevin was about to leave uh, the country for two months. And his address is... This, if you want to come and steal all of his stuff, <laughs> Kevin is convinced that we shouldn't reveal where the podcast studio is because a listener will come to our office and steal all of our stuff and all of the stuff of people who are renting desks from us I at our co-working space, that, which is that at our location, 229 Guerrero Street. Our location just remain anonymous. So is it OK that, to reveal that we're in San Francisco? Yeah, that I feel like we've been very... Anyway, the last five games of the Betrayal campaign were much more like sort of tense and well balanced. God, so many things came down to a single die roll. It was great. 
was, was just really, really good. The luck of circumstance? I think so. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It was, you know, there are certain haunts that will suck if they start early. There are certain haunts that will suck if they start late. There are certain haunts where it's like, oh, the, you know, the trader needs these three things and they're already all in his inventory. Are the, <laughs> is the haunt selection mechanism based on whether it started early or late? Uh, it is not ever. Because no. that could be, that's totally doable. Theoretically, yeah. 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 The the haunt so the way that it works in the normal game, and it's fairly similar to this in the, the legacy. legacy campaign, is that every time you discover an omen, you roll uh dice equal to the number of omens that have been found. And if that is six, uh then the haunt starts. And the dice are zero, one, and two. Um on so six-sided dice. It's essentially, it can't start until you've found three omens, but you can find three omens really early. Like the first three rooms you discover could be omen rooms. And then which haunt is determined by which item you found in which room. Because they're all sort of narratively right. based. Which is great, honestly. I, I kind of prefer that to them being, to like letting the narrative suffer because the mechanics need to be a specific thing. Um yeah, and I mean, I guess you don't want to, like, stack the deck. You don't want rules for, like, okay, now right. you shuffle all the tiles, now put an omen room in every four tiles or whatever. Like, it's uh, yeah, just dumb. Um, So I did that board game marathon last Saturday, and then last Sunday I did a Jeff Goldblum movie marathon at the Alamo Drafthouse, which was, like, 10 hours long. There were some long movies in it. <laughs> there, so they the movies were... Earth Girls Are Easy, which I had never seen, did not know was a musical. <laughs> um, with Wait, it's a, a with musical? A lot of the songs written by Julie Brown, who is great, uh, but is really a musical. Huh. Also, Jim Carrey is in Earth Girls Are Easy. Maybe as, I haven't seen as it. As one of the aliens. I had definitely not. I had no idea what it was actually like. It's just like a very campy musical. Okay. Um, and then Into the Night, which is a strange... It's... Jeff Goldblum is in it. Good. <laughs> it's part of the premise. Uh, and he is having trouble sleeping and his wife, he finds out his wife is cheating on him. And so he just drives to the airport thinking he might go on a trip somewhere. But then uh, Jewel Smuggler, played by a young Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, crashes into his life by leaping into his car and saying, please get me out of here. And he ends up embroiled in like an Iranian Jewel smuggling deal. Uh, that was two and a half hours long. Wow. Um, and it was fine. There's a weird Jim Henson cameo in it. Like they need to use the phone, but someone's on the phone and it's Jim Henson. Does it uh, sound like Kermit? Like in, in, is the character Jim Henson? The character, it... no, the actor is Jim Henson. Okay. It's just for whatever reason, Jim Henson had a weird bit part in this movie. And then, uh, the fly, which I had also not ever seen. That's the, that the seems odd to me. You somehow yeah. did not see the um, fly. It was very good. And then they have you kinda, seen the original fly? I haven't. The fifties one. Yeah. No, is it good? It's, I remember it being good, but I haven't seen it in twenty years, so I don't know. It does feel like a fifties sci-fi story. Yeah. Like the the sort of like uh, I don't know the age of paperback pulp and like Twilight Zone sci-fi. idea. Yeah. Sort of things, but. Yeah, when, like, most of the technological ideas, like, fundamentally... The number of Twilight Zone episodes where where you're just in a spaceship that looks like a flying saucer on another planet kind of thing, like... 
everything is just this weird speculative fiction that all is coherent in its own weird way or no i guess i what i was my contention was going to be that by the 50s basically the conception of what kind of technologies were possible is not so far out of line with our conception of it now huh. right like telecommunications was a thing in a way that it just wasn't a hundred years earlier, right? There was some like late 1800s speculative fiction, like Jules Verne stuff, right? right. Because like, and that was all kind of like, you know, we're going to explore somewhere by building a larger drill than is possible now right. and using it to drill into the earth or whatever. But like 50 stuff feels, 50 science fiction is not so different than science fiction w could be or would be now, right? I feel like the science fiction you see now, like there's a lot of stuff that's classical and in in, and it feels like something that could have been written in the 50s, but a lot of it is concerned with computers and that stuff just was not thought through at all back then. There's, there's like I'm thinking about the, um, the second earth theory, like sci-fi, and I feel like there's like two or three movies that came out in the past five years or so that are based on that and that, just that, that there's another Earth on the other side of the sun that we can't possibly oh, see. Oh, right. It's right. over there next to Bertrand Russell's teapot. Yep. And that's... Um, I, but I feel like there were... Like, science fiction writers knew about the computers that existed in the 50s, right? Yeah. And it was more of just a MacGuffin, right? It was like, here's a device that can tell you anything or can... Or can, do do impossible or can math turn that we couldn't evil do. And yeah, be the antagonist. But but it wasn't right. It wasn't like you know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the internet. Right. If you, it would not have been completely inconceivable in the 50s for someone to write about a network of computers that allowed entertainment and communication to happen all across the world the way that I think it might have been in 1850. I don't know of an example of it. Oh, I, I, but I think we saw um, Neuromancers kind of started that genre of, of talking about of like the, of, of the internet being really addressed in a big way in a, in, in sci-fi. Hmm. Um, and that became fairly ubiquitous um i don't think i i remember ender's game the like hopeful idea of the internet as a place where people just had discussions about ideas and oh, like yeah. if you just had really good ideas you could like rise to prominence on the on the the web or whatever or the net because well what, that's still true for a certain game? definition of good right right like you know the idea that uh, huh. i would argue that the idea that vaccines cause autism is a good idea in that it seems to be extremely survivable and immune yeah. to skepticism successful. and very successful at spreading yeah, mimetically like, speaking yeah interesting yeah. like successful in the way good. that a virus can be successful yeah. oh anyway i'm an anti-vaxxer now <laughs> Jim, you can't be on the podcast anymore because to... you vaccinated your kid. I assume. Well, you're just saying you respect them. <laughs> respect vaccines or ideas? It's the ideas. <laughs> uh, and the fourth movie uh, in the Jeff Goldblum marathon was uh, we were sort of trolled 
he came up and he was like, boy, I think this is really one of Jeff Goldblum's most underrated movies. And then Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World starts. And it is real boring. I remember it not being good. But if you had asked me why it was bad, I would have said, oh, the, it had stupid concepts or premises or, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable character behavior or whatever. I would not have said what turned out to be true, which was that it was just extremely dull <laughs> there is a scene where they're in like a like a train car shaped thing it's like a trailer that is hanging vertically over the edge of a cliff and they're like you know hanging from ropes and trying not to fall through the glass in the bottom of it and stuff and that scene lasts probably 40 minutes it is it is incredible it sounds sounds super tense zach I, <laughs> Well, I mean, also, I had been sitting in a movie theater seat, movie theater seat for eight hours at that point. Yeah, so maybe anything would have been boring. But it's, like, it seems like just a bad place to be. Hmm. So, I mean, how many did you order a meal for every for every movie? movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I had uh, I had a, a a terrible chicken sandwich. I okay. said I'd like the terrible chicken sandwich, and they said, "Okay, sir." Um, it was. This sandwich actually is this sandwich was bad enough to be worth describing on a podcast. <laughs> okay. Imagine you have a single chicken tender. Okay. Like okay. a chicken finger. Uh but slightly, yeah, maybe yeah. slightly bigger. Yeah, like a chicken tender. Yeah, like a like say an breaded, inch and a half wide and four inches long. Okay. Breaded. Um what they did was they took two slices of toast uh-huh. and put some coleslaw on it, and then they took that chicken finger and put it diagonally on the slice of toast, huh. sitting up on its side. What? <laughs> and then put the other slice of toast on top of it, and then carefully sliced through, through the middle of what? the corner. So it was basically like... A sandwich that had been cut in half, and as soon as you picked up one half of it, all of the contents just <laughs> fell onto the plate in the dark. It, it, I maybe they had. I should know better than to order anything well. I don't know is good at the Alamo Draft House. God, the burger, like the burger is worth sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it just, was. You should just get the burger. A, dri a dribble sandwich. I think it is my new go-to meal there. Mm. Do you what, think it would improve movie marathons to have each movie play at like five percent faster speed <laughs> as you get through it, every, or every or just like every time they say "b," yeah. it speeds up by five percent. Every time you see the Universal Pictures logo, it speeds up by ten percent. Mm. No, I think that would drive me crazy. I think I would walk. It would give me the feeling that I get from listening to podcasts at more than one x speed, which is that as soon as I stop doing that and try to listen to something normal or talk to a person, I feel like I'm my brain is underwater and I'm going crazy because hmm. your brain is underwater. Technically, if you consider fluid cerebrospinal fluid to be fluid, which I do. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to, Kevin? I know uh, what you've been up to, but tell the listeners. Yeah, I have, I have been working 16 or more hours a day on West Wilding since last week. This is not a situation that you were compelled oh, no. into this by is... anyone else or even one that nope. is desirable by yep. the you, people it, you work with. Like two months ago, you were like, well, Kevin, you could 
work for three normal weeks or you could have one really horrible week at the end. <laughs> I was like, I think I'll take the really horrible week at the end. I didn't actually think that. I like, I underestimated how much work there was to get done and I put things off and it's, it's all just my fault. You have too many people's worth of jobs to do is the problem mm, with yeah. our company. Yeah. It's, Jim, what have you been up to? Uh, I watched uh, a thing uh, a thing on Netflix called Bandersnatch. Oh yeah, yeah. have we all seen that now? No, nope. have you seen it? No, Riff hasn't seen it, but he doesn't Riff, have Netflix, Riff, so he's not going to see it. Riff so can't we watch it. So spoilers don't matter. Yeah, do it because I didn't talk about it in depth, but I would love to because mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, why don't yeah, you go, go ahead? Uh, so I and well, I can't remember what we. I, I mentioned that I had seen it. Uh, I, th- I think it. I think that was di- that was all we talked about. Uh, yeah, like I, I went through and got, I think almost every possible branch. I, I looked at a chart and there were like two or three things that I had missed. Um, and I think it took like three hours maybe to go through absolutely Yeah, everything. that's about the same for me. Um, the, it, it keeps like, <clears throat> I kept hitting things that seemed like endings and then it would kick me back to something earlier. And I think that's just like a way for it to simulate what you would do in a choose your, your yeah, adventure your thumb, book, which your is you thumb, flip back exactly. to- were you? Yeah, I I just I, stopped I when that. it stopped doing that. That that was my yeah, like. I felt actually, like I wanted a canon playthrough. Yeah, when it actually rolled credits. Yeah, there are know. still probably storylines that you missed. Not oh, storylines. Sh- certainly, like, there are there are chunks. endings. There are endings that I missed. Yeah, I didn't ever get a very good one. There no. isn't a really good one. Well, I'm I'm considering the game getting good reviews as a good I ending. See. Yeah, there is a way to get 100%. Cuz this was a time five. back when there were ethics in games journalism <laughs> and review scores could be trusted. Yep. I got an ending where the game got 5 stars. Oh wow. Uh but there I don't but then like the protagonist's life turned out terrible. Yep. So I got two and a half stars and the protagonist was like in jail for murdering his dad. That's then I did better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got so I mean I got zero stars and then two and a half stars and I was like oh okay well clearly I know that there's some got to be some way to get five stars and that's that's what kind of what compelled me to keep digging around until I yeah. got that so, five star review. So this is a which I thought was the weird. movie is set in eighties the eighties British game development scene. Yep. Which like I I so I don't think this is a very good example. This is a very good game. And I don't think it's very good storytelling, but I was really compelled by the setting. Do you think that's because we're interested in retro games? Probably. Yeah. Um, I I would like to watch a movie about these characters making a video game. Yeah. And even without any supernatural bullshit happening. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like it does a. Bandersnatch does a good job of um, confusing the viewer and like it's clearly trying to put the the viewer in the same kind of addled mental state as the protagonist and it does a good job of that. But um, I kind of feel like I wanted to understand what was going on on a little bit better. Um, Going on in what sense? uh, Both in terms of mechanically and narratively. And like narratively, how, like how what's... do you get a second chance at these kinds of things? Or, I, uh, yeah, I guess so. Like, what what was going on when it was like kicking me back mm-hmm. earlier? Like, 
But in terms of narrative, like there's really no, I don't think there's a common pattern. I think like every, the choices you make, they don't really affect, they don't really affect the outcomes in any way you, that's predictable. It's just kind of like you make a choice and then something happens. But that's um, very true to choose your own adventures. Yeah. I was yeah. Gonna... Well, and I, I think those are bad game design too. Huh. Um, I I loved choose your own adventure books as a kid. Yeah, and me too. I, I super enjoy like fine. I'm not I'm not saying I wouldn't like enjoy reading one now, but like Okay. Um So well, then we, so, yeah, so how does that translate to being I bad? think that they're more of a toy than a game or a story. What about the ones that had character stats and, and stuff? And, and I, don't stuff. Know. I, I I still cannot conceive of the person who would take that seriously enough that it would be possible for them to ever like lose a fight and just hit a game over. But I, maybe that person exists, but boy, they, they are a fucking narc. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I, so one of the advantages of the, the book format of the choose your own adventure is that, um, you, you can, after you've played it for a while, you can like flip flip around and see how it's structured, mm-hmm. and that's something that I really wanted to do with this. Oh, I really wanted God. to like look at. Apparently, this was originally written. The script was originally written in Twine. Yep. I would love to dig into that. Uh, the the flowchart and. Have you read Meanwhile, the book by No? Jason, this is Jason Shiga. This has got to be like the third time you've recommended this to you me. Should, you've got you just so you you could either pick up the book, which is great. Or you could pick up the, I think it might only be iOS, which doesn't help you, but uh, the <laughs> app that um, Andrew Plotkin implemented out of that book. Oh. It is yeah. incredible. It is such a, a an incredible like testament to somebody who really understands how interactive fiction works. Uh, and I, like, I feel like the physical book is a little more impressive just you think because of the way it's formatted and how you have to deal with it, but the the I app is very cool and I, I think the book was convenient. probably way harder to make than most yeah. books, yeah. Uh, yeah, certainly. But the app, the app, like actually, just works so so well. And then you get to you can at at the end you can just see the entire thing cool. as a yeah. giant document, and it's so satisfying. I think I take Riff's point though. Like that book was so much harder than a normal book that it's more impressive than the app, okay. which all apps are hard to make, but this one wasn't like super duper harder than a normal app. It, I, I just feel like it would have been so easy to screw it up. Mm. Mm. Um, so not, are you not sure good. you would know if they had? No. Yeah. It's a <laughs> thing with time travel stories. You can just kind of hand wave stuff. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Have it's you, really good. It's, have also, it's also either a time of you story. read so cool. um, yeah. Jason Jason Shiga's um, graphic novel uh, Demon? Mm-mm. Don't think so. That is really interesting because it's like uh, it's it's the same sort of like exploration of like these weird rules, like like how Meanwhile is sort of like a v- real thorough uh, examination of like the consequences of different kinds of time travel uh the 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 setup for demon is that a a guy dies or the the main protagonist whose name i forget uh dies and then wakes up in 
having having occupied somebody else's body and he discovers that just he has this power that whenever he dies no matter how he dies he uh, possesses the body of whoever is nearest to him when he dies and so it's like it's a it's a four volume story that basically just is him experimenting with this power and what he can do with it and the the government officials that realize that some somebody somewhere has some fucked up power and are now trying to chase him and all the the various consequences of it and the 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 FBI agent trying to figure out how to capture him without him being able to get away and and what happens when this guy has a kid and just all the different possible consequences of this one simple premise it's pretty interesting but in order to experiment he has to kill whoever he's hosting well he has to he has to kill himself yeah and then as a consequence whoever he's whoever he he then is going to be inhabiting yeah ends up displaced or whatever yeah yeah it's 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 graphically well i i I was about to say it's graphically violent but it's drawn in basically it's the same style as meanwhile which is extremely cartoony so it's like that style of cartoon but you see a guy's head get cut off or whatever so so it graphic graphically quote unquote violent what are you uh what have you been up to riff uh, well, speaking of graphically quote unquote violent, I, I've, I spent like the past week watching, uh, right. uh old sixties and seventies Kung Fu movies on Twitch. <laughs> they did like a week long marathon of old, uh, Shaw brothers films. How did they, did they just like get the rights to broadcast that stuff? I, or? Yeah, I get either that or the, the people who have the rights to them started a channel or something okay one, or just didn't things, know yeah. about it <laughs> uh, i don't know do you think you could get a week-long marathon going without the creator without the creator without finding anybody out anybody noticing yeah. yeah it depends on i mean if no one was watching it you probably you know i could <laughs> i could just start a jurassic park the lost world over and over again marathon how old does something have to be before a studio has not like claimed copyright on it through the whatever like machine learning tools they've got to look for that stuff in yeah content ids i think it it works on audio um do they not have a video version of it maybe yeah i guess i didn't really think i think they must because that's why you get like if you find a youtube video of some actual movie chances are it's like flipped left to right yeah it's like flipped left to right and is in a small window with everything else being static it doesn't it doesn't trigger with a group of people acting out the scenes in a larger window (laughs) (laughs) there's a there's a thing that i've noticed that i think must be about this which is there are all of these youtube recommends a lot of norm mcdonald videos to me and then that becomes kind of this self-fulfilling algorithmic thing because like i watch a lot of them and so then it thinks he likes norm mcdonald videos give him some more Every once in a while, there will be compilations of his, like, Saturday Night Live weekend update stuff, and there is, like, this weird fucked up color overlay that's, like, a screenshot of him on weekend update, and then the actual video is playing sort of barely visible smaller, so there's, like, a tiny him inside him and a tiny screen inside the screen. That's really weird. 
Huh. But it must be a content ID thing, right? Yeah. Maybe it's just a... I should just listen to Norm MacDonald and watch those procedurally generated videos of, like, CGI animals going into a fire and turning into other animals or whatever. <laughs> Uh, what did you did you learn anything from uh, those kung fu movies? Did I learn anything? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I learned mantis style. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you like pause the movie and like spend a really long time? Because uh, it's streamed, examining? so it wasn't possible. Whoa! Like, you can pause it. It just when you resume, it'll be uh, it'll have been Wait, running. Well, yeah. Time. Did, so Twitch not exactly paused. I can turn it TV. off and then come back. <laughs> yeah. Huh. But yeah. they also invented TiVo because in for most streams you can go back and watch I see. the video on probably not for this one though, I'm guessing. Yeah. It seems like Spotify is trying to invent satellite radio again. They just they just announced the acquisition of, of uh, Gimlet. Gimlet and yeah, some and some other, other thing. Some other networks. It's God, man, Gimlet. I really like the stuff that they make and I like the personalities of the people involved, but the, that story ending in a like acquisition. multi-million dollar acquisition just makes me more bummed in the same way that I was bummed listening to startup, which is like, we're going to start a company. The only way anyone ever starts a company or can start a company, which is to find someone to borrow millions of dollars from and operate at a loss for a really long time. And then hope that someone will purchase us. It's like, cool. That's a great message. It is a little weird that that's that that's how people think businesses work. I mean, it is how they it's work how a, in a lot of cases. It is how it's, some yeah. subset of yeah, startups how, work. And sort how, of like, yeah, it's how sleazy startups work. Well, it's not sleazy startups. It's like every, I mean, like, you know, is Airbnb a sleazy startup? Probably. <laughs> you know, Slack was probably profitable. It was profitable, but they still took money. Yeah. So they could grow faster. But they're not sleazy. They're not, they weren't like trying to trick investors into putting more money into them so that they could, so that the principals could have like a big, what is it? A golden exit. Is that where you, which like, they would celebrate with a golden shower, yeah. a baby shower, um, a golden baby shower. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ugh. Gross dude. <laughs> Um. Yeah, Gimlet. I mean, it's. I'm sure it's going to be fine. I am getting. I'm. I'm a little torn on. This means a lot more reply all. I'm excited. <laughs> well, sure. I don't. I wonder if it does though, yeah. and I wonder if more reply all would mean better. You know, mm. like could you do more of that with the same level of quality? I don't, I don't know. know, man. Uh. Does it mean that, like, there won't just be an RSS feed for listening to Reply All anymore? Uh, they have claimed that none of their existing podcasts will become uh, walled gardened in the Spotify app or huh. whatever. Because I, like, I don't like that. Like, I don't, I don't like whatever the fuck Stitcher is. Right. Because it's just a thing that takes podcasts and makes them not podcasts anymore. Um, yep. Which is a real bummer. But and that know, becomes the the way that people listen to what used to be podcasts. You know, it, a structure whereby people could get paid to make podcasts would be great. Yep. But, you know, 
I don't know. We figured that. Although there's a lot of doom and gloom about Patreon going around. That so people inside Patreon are like it. Like we definitely need to keep innovating, but like there is no sensation at, within Patreon that any of this is actually real. I mean, it's just the CEO talking, right? Like, yeah. it's, I mean, I feel like they're just in the same state that, like, Dropbox and every other, like, you know, Twitter, it's like they have to sustain an amount of growth that doesn't make any sense and is clearly not, like, indefinitely sustainable in order to satisfy the needs of the investment capital that they've taken as opposed to just, like, yep. staying small and yeah. performing a service. And what that means they have a service that is good. They have a service that became successful and got the intention of the investors because it was good and changing it is way more likely to fuck it up and make it annoying than, than it is to make it better. Yep. Yeah. As a, as a user, I feel like I, I am very leery of starting to use any product. Like, I guess I could just put a full stop right there. Like, <laughs> but specifically any product that, um, is VC backed because it means it's whatever it is right now, it's not going to be that in a couple of years. It's either going to be much bigger and monetized some way, or uh, it's going to be out of business. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good golden egg laying goose you got there, fella. Right. I mean, Slack, Slack feels like an exception. They have not changed it in any way that is meaningful. I don't know that that's true of like the free tier. I guess I use the free tier all the time. Like, I am so terrified that someday Dropbox is just going to stop doing the thing that I need it to do. And that's going to... Is the, what, the, the business tier that has unlimited storage? No, just the... I, I We've got the pro tier. It's not, it's not unlimited. It's just like a terabyte or something. Individual um, pro tier accounts. But, oh, wow. But just, like, yeah. I rely on the very simple version of that service that I pay for so much for so many different things that when they decide to fuck it up for whatever capital induced reason. When I started giving Dropbox money, like I was just, okay, I need more Dropbox space. They defaulted, like they, they automatically switched all my files over to like stored only on the cloud. And so if I wanted to open them locally, it had to download them first. That's a relatively recent change. Is it? Yeah. It's it's a bad one because it meant that like I had, you know, 10 text files open in Notepad, Notepad++ or whatever it is I use, I forget. And suddenly like none of them, it, it, like the, the whole program just froze up because it was like trying to download them all at once. And the, um, the I think the problem that they have is that they're dealing with people that have been using the service for 10-ish years now. I don't know when they started, eight years, something. And now have way more files in Dropbox than they can actually store locally on their computer because they've been sharing them for so long, but more or less. Yeah. Um, and so they... Well, that that would be... They like, want it to be sort of like a representational system that's actually only stored on the cloud. Yeah, and uh, I'm actually... As long actually, as you can tell it not to do that, that's sure. fine. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you had, I had to turn it off and then it had to download everything again. Um, I'm using the uh, the... What I, what I think is a much better version of that, which is that the files just aren't uh, like the the biggest files. I I just put them in a folder where like this just isn't on my computer at all. So I'm using it as 
just like a long-term storage for files that I mostly don't need to have, but still want to keep around. Mm. What? Why don't you just buy a hard drive? Uh, I did that for a few years, and I found external storage to just fail at an incredible rate. Hmm. Oh, that's weird. I have that has not been my experience with like external USB hard drives. I've I've got years worth of them, and they all still work. Yeah. Whereas I've had so many internal hard drives fail in the last that's five that's years. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Did you make your desk out of magnets, Jim? Right. Uh. No, but like I certainly like I don't know how well she, like how well shielded is an Xbox 360. Oh, I thought you were going to say how Welsh is. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I certainly like had a bunch of electron like consumer electronics on the desk. Maybe that fucks with it. Were any of those consumer electronics video games that you've played this week? Oh, sweet. <laughs> uh, so I've been um, on a because I was interested in the the uh, uk 80s dev scene i i've been on like a mostly not playing the games but kind of just like looking into the culture of it um pretty fascinating stuff like the the into the the development culture of like the the zx spectrum um did you know that machine doesn't actually it's just a cpu and a frame buffer basically it's just like here's a CPU and then here's memory which gets bled to the screen every 50, 50 times a second. Huh. Uh the fact that anybody got like decent arcade animation out of that thing is baffling. Completely ridiculous. Um I want to talk about I played I didn't play this recently but I played Manic Miner years ago. Um and the experience of playing those games, like I, I didn't try to simulate this, but like the first thing that happens is that you spend 20 minutes waiting for, waiting for it to load off of cassette, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is like, like the UK was in a, um, it was in a recession at the time. And so the most successful computers and the most successful games were all super cheap. The, uh, the spectrum was, I think 120 pounds, which I don't know what that is in nowadays Kilograms. dollars. But I bet it's, but I bet it's <laughs> something on the order of what an NES cost at the time. Um, but then, like the games were like three pounds. What? So, like Load Runner was popular on the ZX Spectrum, I think right? So, and that yeah. kind of made it over here. I never like every time as a kid that I tried to play Load Runner. I just was like, this feels bad and yeah. is not a good video game. Yeah. Really? Is Manic Miner... Um, I think of them all as playing like Spelunker for the NES or playing like rando PC games in the 80s that were just, you know, like very bouncing babies or... Manic Miner specifically is very stiff. Manic Miner is like... I don't know. Have you played Super Ghouls and Ghosts? Yeah. That that game where like well the Super Girls and Ghosts is 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 sixty frames a second so that's it's not like that but it is like that in that you push left or right and you're instantly moving at top speed you let go and you instantly stop it's very um it, it's kind of stiff but it's also on the other hand like it's it's very responsive to what your input inputs are so it's like it's not like Mario who has some like acceleration and deceleration I don't think of super I I guess you're right. And then thinking about it, but I don't think of Super Ghouls and Ghosts as being like hard to play or feeling bad to 
Yeah, no, I think it, I, I, and, but I think that's a lot of that is the frame rate. Like, hmm. um, and then in Super Ghouls and Ghosts, you push a button to jump and you have a fixed arc. Right. Um, that you have no control over, except that Super Ghouls and Ghosts adds as a double jump, which I think is what makes that game. Yeah. Um, Manic Miner feels like it's that, but like without this double jump and at, at maybe like, it's not a frame, talking about frame rate doesn't really make sense for these games because, um, every object would basically update separately like in the same way robotron did where like if it can't it can't update all the objects this frame it'll just update like Mm. however many it can and then it'll get the next the next frame Mm. um just because like like i was saying like it's it's got to do software rendering for everything so i think like the protagonist probably moves at like 20 hertz or something like that um but what makes it unpleasant i think like and probably a bad game is the level design is extremely demanding in terms of um having to make precision jumps um and the timing of the jumps um i i I played that game i don't know for like half an hour and i finally beat the first screen um and then of course like as soon as i got to the second screen i died twice and then since i lost all my lives i was back to the first screen again uh, that and that game is like twenty levels long or something like that. So like it's it's a very like if you think back to like nineteen eighty three or I think that's when that game was um, released. Like it's a uh, and you're you're paying like three pounds for it, and you're getting this game experience that is like really stretched out because it's very difficult. And this is the important thing. Like every, anytime I, I listen to a couple of like retro podcasts about the this sort of scene and the thing they all talk about with manic minor is that it had music happening during the gameplay uh like that's that game's big innovation and selling point uh which is just like i i think that that scene had a much more um like i i think of like like gamer culture here in the united states as being extremely um fetishistic of technology of like technical advancement and that we've like focused on that uh to the detriment of actually making sure. better games a lot of the time yeah I, I, I get the sense that the uk is way more like that like at least at least in the 80s uh because it seems like anything the only thing anybody ever talked about um so the game i played <laughs> <laughs> uh i played a game called zx house attack which uses the art of manic minor and sort of the design ethos to make a uh one button platformer type thing one button like flip screen platformer type thing um and i think it does a really good job making something that like feels like like a just not not super modernized but slightly modernized uh manic minor type of game or though the interface is you basically you push a button to walk forward and you can't turn around without hitting the wall uh and you can't jump without hitting a trampoline and so all you're doing is timing when you walk forward uh and it sort of becomes a puzzle game to figure out how do you make your way past this set of obstacles when all you can do is walk and like the choices you make are um, 
paths diverge when like you walk on an elevator that's going up or down and, and you choose can, when to walk off choose when to walk it, off sorry i if you already said this is this an a game from the 80s or no, is this, this is a new phone this game. Is a new phone game okay yeah uh and it's got a lot of design issues um and the biggest one is that you spend so much time waiting like the the game encourages like replaying levels to finish them faster but so much of like what you can do is limited by like well this elevator is just out of phase now so i have to wait 15 seconds for it to get back into where i need it to be mm. like there's no and you have no control over that um it also has like it, technical issues where like it it would it so it plays an ad every few deaths uh, but you can pay like uh, some modest amount, I forget the actual amount, to remove ads. Uh, and when I did that, the game crashed, and I put it down for a few days. And I when I when I came back to it, it seemed to be working, but what seemed to be happening is that, like, it would show the, the loading spinner for the ad and then just not play the ad. And so instead hmm. of having an ad every few deaths, you have, like, a five-second <laughs> wait every few deaths. It was... Uh. Uh, that sucks. That's almost worse than an ad. <laughs> no, I would. It almost worse, but not worse. Ten second. I think a t I would rather watch a ten second ad than just a pinwheel for nine seconds. Okay. I don't know how far. <laughs> I don't know how far I would go. But but it would be before that. It was the the pinwheel for like five seconds, and then the ten second. Uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. But like I I I actually finished this game i finished all all 16 levels Jeez. in it and it gets real like I, w I would not say that it was a good game but it was like it's compelling in in its way to like that it, that it kind of brings out if you're into that sort of platformer that it brings out kind of like the bloody mindedness of it of of the player where like no oh, no i'm just gonna i'm gonna fucking do this until i get it um but I do think, like, it would have been maybe more interesting with, like, a rewind or being turn-based because then you could still get the the puzzle aspects of it without, like, the pixel-perfect execution aspects of it if you're not into that. I may talk more about British microcomputer games next episode. I still haven't really brought myself to actually play any of those games because I don't they don't look good huh they don't look like they're good games i'm just like i'm i'm kind of more interested in the culture around it than the actual uh games themselves they got jeff minter to play the game developer like the legendary yeah, that was game great designer guy that yeah was pretty good in in bandersnatch you yeah, said, yeah. You're talking about yeah like yeah. The, he he's uh, he plays a minor role in that movie no lines. a manic minor role <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he has any has any speaking lines. Uh, I played. Um, so I found the out that I uh, actually already owned a Yakuza game uh, because the well, owned is owned is questionable, but it, it was a PlayStation Plus game from maybe like a year ago. So I had it in my PlayStation Plus library, and so I decided to like to fire that up to see like can I can I get any sort of sustainable pleasure out of playing this series uh it was uh 
a Yakuza Kiwami, which is apparently a remake of the first game in the hmm. series. Um, and I was really stunned to see just how almost identical a game it was to Yakuza Zero. Um, like it uses all the same interface and the same fonts and the same menus. And as far as I could tell, I didn't actually play for very long, but as far as I could tell, it even uses the same city layout. Um, I, th I think that is true. I've heard people talking about in, in reference to the Yakuza games about how af after, after playing so many of them, they're as intimately familiar with that half a dozen city blocks as they were with their own hometown and stuff. Wow. Like that. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and so like, I, I've kind of, I kind of gave up at that point. Like I had only been playing for a couple of minutes, like not counting cutscenes. Um, and like looking into it, apparently, um, that game was, uh, using the, the Yakuza zero engine and, and assets as well as like, a a way to quickly remake the first game. So maybe like that was a bad choice for trying a new Yakuza game. Uh, and I'm sure I'll, uh, I'll, I'll dig back into it with some, I, I hear there's one set in like feudal Japan that was never localized, which sounds hmm. interesting, but like what I really want is just like, like what, what I, so the, I guess there were two things that I really loved about that, about that play experience. And one was just like not knowing what kind of game it was like, just trying to figure that out moment to moment. It seemed to keep changing what, what kind of game I was playing. And the other one was just like the, the detail of the world building. And I've never, I've never been to Tokyo. I've never been to the, and specifically the entertainment district of Tokyo. And it's, it's a very like, uh, compelling depiction of it and just the little details like you're in like a, you're in a gangster's office and there's an extremely full ashtray next to a computer terminal <laughs> just, just things like that like very like very compelling world building details who's, and what whose keyboard was the one that was all gross and peter molyneux yeah thank you it's just something did you see his keyboard it was he'd he Oh, God. I talked about this a little bit, I think, when it happened. Added, he did a GDC talk that was like his career in a tale of four desks or something. <laughs> and he just showed pictures of the desks that he worked in at his various like jobs and stages of his career and talked to use them as kind of a jumping off point for talking about them. When he started out, his his desk was like the desk of like a mentally ill like, oh, that, so that wasn't his desk after use. It was the desk when he acquired it. What? No, it was definitely his. It oh. was like it was like the keyboard. No, he's the mentally ill. He's guy. The, okay. the, the keyboard was ninety percent cigarette burns. It was it's just so heaped with trash. Like it. It was like something you would see in hoarders. I've never seen hoarders. <laughs> But like, if what you were hoarding was cigarette butts right. and garbage, right? Well, I guess everything that's being hoarded is garbage. If something is hoarded, it's necessarily garbage. If you're hoarding gold bullion, <laughs> if your house is just full of gold ingots that you're not getting rid of, that becomes trash, and I'll take it off your hands for you. <laughs> oh, would you have to? Would someone have to pay you to come and take away all the gold bullion? Yep. What could they use to pay you? 
fiat currency or their fiat. They yeah, can just loan me their fiat. Load into a fiat. So what I want to see is um, I want to see that sort of detail and craftsmanship applied to any other era or any other city. And of course, like that's not the team to do it because they presumably are building off their own nostalgia uh, for for the 80s and 90s in 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 urban Japan, presumably. Um, Did you play Red Dead Redemption 2? No, I played Red Dead Redemption 1 and I feel like I got enough. I got all I was going to get out of that series. Everything I ever heard about Red Dead Redemption 2 makes me just even more certain than the already 100% certain I was that I would hate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have you considered just, I don't know how long it takes to do this in the second game, but in the first game you could boot it up and pretty quickly get to the point where you're just kind of wandering the desert um, and maybe get the most value out of it doing that. Could be. But I, I do want there to be some, I don't know, I want to interact with a resource node. Okay. If I'm wandering around a desert, I want there to be something that I can salvage and bolt onto my pauldrons. <laughs> mm, okay, all right. It sounds like you should just play another Fallout game. Yep. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, and I played uh, New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe. Okay. Is that on the Switch? That's on the Switch. That's the Switch port of New Super Mario Brothers U, which was a Wii U game. And I think, I don't know if they've ported Pikmin 3 yet, but I think if so, that makes all the the Wii U games that I care about have finally now made it over. Except Mario Maker. Oh, right. Oh, huh. That one might not come because it requires the touchscreen. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have, have a touchscreen. It. You They've got to be trying. Someone internal to Nintendo has to be trying to make that happen, right? I I would assume so, yeah. Or or a follow-up. I mean, the Switch does have a touchscreen. Yeah, but you can't... It's not like a an interface that you can then use to cast to another device. Like yeah. It's, that's, that's definitely true. Yeah, I don't know if... Like, does Nintendo demand that games be fully playable on both docked and undocked they don't they heavily recommend that you do right? i think they are unlikely to give you any featuring and the game is probably unlikely to be very popular if it doesn't but like yeah. there are games that you can only play with a touchscreen. like there are ports of phone games to the switch that's yeah. interesting that you just can't use the controller yeah. to play and they let it they let them happen or like games that you can use but it's just it's inc it feels incredibly bad right so yeah, they do allow bad games on any platform. <laughs> That's true. It's the Nintendo seal of quality. How are you feeling about it? Uh, so I I don't remember how much I talked about this last week or whenever I was here last. Um, but I played uh, New Super Mario Brothers U at, at release in like 2012 maybe. Um and that was wait. The Wii U existed in 2012. That's not. I think so. I think it was around then. I don't. I don't think that's true. It was definitely not later than 2013. I think it was 2012. Really? Huh. Yeah. Okay. The Switch uh, was like just Wii a couple U of years ago. Wii U was released in November 2012. Oh, okay. crazy. So in that case, I was probably doing this in 2013. Um, I believe the Wii U came out like fucking 
six and a half years ago. Yeah. It's uh the Wii came out what ten or twelve years ago? Twelve years ago. I think it was two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh so I was playing this is this was twenty thirteen then. Um and it was months like three months, something like that, after the release of New Super Mario Brothers two for the three DS. And they've been like they're they've been doing the pattern there is that they're making one new Super Mario Brothers game per console because they made one for the DS and then for the Wii and then for the 3DS and then for the Wii U, um, like they do for Mario Kart games. Uh, and that's fine, except that like the market had already absorbed one of these games just a couple of months ago, and the resources that they put into making these two games were split across these two titles and so like they each had like half the good ideas that they should have had in them um and so like i played i played this game and i was like i am this this it just felt like the the least creative possible move that they could have made uh and now that it's been six years since they put out one of those games uh, I was thinking like, I, I probably am probably in the mood for another new Super Mario Brothers game. And I only sort of am. It turns out that like, I'm kind of still burnt out on 2D Mario, um, which is a bummer. I still finished it. Uh, <laughs> Wait, it's, it's, a, kind of it's a 2D Mario game? Yeah, it's, uh, well, 2D gameplay, 3D represent, 3D visualization of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the new Super Mario Brothers series is. Uh, I remember the DS one being 2D because that was the one where you could become the Mario that was the size of the entire screen. Yeah, right? and all the other new Super Mario Brothers games are basically that, except the ones for the Wii and the Wii U add four-player multiplayer. Mm. I guess I was <laughs> thinking of Super Mario 3D World. Oh yeah, that's and a, that's and a that separate series. series. Separate series. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that one I think was uh like that that I I feel like was um much more interesting, much more of an interesting development and uh would love to see more games in that in that series. Uh and I played a little bit of the the alternate mode. Uh I think it's just I think it's just Super Luigi U or maybe <laughs> New Super Luigi U. <laughs> Uh, which remixes uh, the existing levels and makes them shorter and makes you play. You can't play as Mario anymore. It makes takes them that shorter the even though you're taller? Yes. But shorter shorter uh, horizontally. Oh, shorter side to side. But also durationally. Uh, it also like puts a maximum 100 seconds on the clock. So hmm. The first thing you hear in any when you start any level is the you're running out of time sound. Oh, good. Uh, huh. And uh, I think it is a much more interesting version of that game, but it's also like I'm I feel like I'm just done playing really hard platformers. Like I think that's a a phase of my life that I went through and and now like feel no need to go back to. No, you regret it. I don't regret it. Except you have occasional pangs of nostalgia that make you buy and try to play one. And finish them. I, <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, and it is like, I, I really like Mario games. And so like, even though, though I, it turns out I don't 
really like the 2D Mario games anymore. I still have extremely strong memories of loving them. As recently as 10 years ago. Like, this is not, these are not old memories. Yeah. Um, and I still really love, genuinely love the the uh, 3D Mario games. Odyssey was my favorite game of, I forget what year is released, maybe last. Do you think that Mario is even year before that. a tiny bit interesting as a character? Oh, hell no. <laughs> yes, okay. Mario is like, like he, I guess he has one personality adjective, which is that he is a go-getter. And he's mm-hmm. maybe, okay, two, because he's also optimistic. He's like... He's like enthusiastic and like I yeah I I, I don't think of Mario have as having a personality. Oh, I thought of a third trait. He doesn't like it when his ass is on fire. Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> that that sign of, seems kind of universal, really. <laughs> he does he does not enjoy drowning. <laughs> um. But like, I feel like he's a a cipher, you know, uh, just a protagonist that can take on any role almost. Luigi is at least neurotic. Yep, ne- yeah. Luigi is a is is the the guy who is just as capable as Mario, but doesn't realize it. I guess. Yeah, L- living in his brother's shadow. That's much character. more interesting. What? Why don't we have another year of Luigi? That was like if every year was the year of Luigi, it wouldn't be special anymore. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, if every year is the year of Luigi, then no year is the year of Luigi. <laughs> but we, but the difference was that we would have much more Luigi. Hmm. It's true. What are you been playing, Riff? Um, not a lot because uh, you know kung fu movies and building models, but uh. I did start you also, playing. You were also busting your ass. Yeah, I also up also DLC stuff. stuff. Yeah, uh, I did start playing uh, Riven for my ongoing YouTube series of the Mist games, but it'll be it'll be like a month and a half before that starts hitting YouTube. Are you when you do those? And I apologize for admitting to you that I've never watched any of them, but <laughs> yeah, I'm nope, probably no, probably not going to either. Uh, <laughs> do you like? just figure out the puzzles as you go is there like a lot of backtracking and blind alley stuff in the videos or do you there there was uh for abduction because i'd never played that before uh missed i'm i have not played it in a while but i have played it enough throughout my life that i i pretty much remembered everything uh riven i'm i'm discovering that i pretty much remember everything and then the ones after that, I think I only played them like once each when they came out. So those will be more or less blind again. Riven is the game that I think about. Riven is the game that I am thinking about when I say how much I hate puzzle, like encountering puzzles that you don't know if you got if you have enough if you have enough yet. information to solve the puzzle. Yeah, because yep. that that's pretty much how Riven worked. Was was because it was. Most of the puzzles were meta puzzles and you had to you had to acquire some information from across the map to to uh to compile into the final solution. 
if you look at a logical map of that game, is it do they optimize for making you run all over hell and back and backtrack um, a lot, or is it hmm. is did anyone think that it was coherently designed? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really remember. I feel like you probably don't. Well, I mean, it depends on how good your initial exploration is, right? Like, I, I think there probably would not be a lot of backtracking unless you failed to find the important things the first time. Hmm. But, I mean, how how likely are you to find everything on a, on a first pass? Uh, I, at, at this point where I am, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I guess, though, like you can't know how well you've explored because you don't know if you're meant to be able to get through this door or not. Right? Like that's, I feel like largely if you have enough information to solve a thing, it's cause it's, it's not like, I don't know. It's not like a thing where you're free to type in anything you want. It's a thing where, you know, instead of having, three medallions like you do in a resident evil game you have a thing that's asking you for three pieces of information and you either know that you have three pieces of information or you don't you know is that eh, well yeah okay i guess i don't remember the specific puzzles that i got stuck on in Riven, other than it being all of them. And I, I just don't remember the details of any of them. Part of it is also, that I feel like, a lot of... Because... Like, there's stuff in Riven that is kind of a puzzle, but it's not really presented as a puzzle. Like, a lot of the things like... Uh, in order to get to... The episode I just uh, recorded... Um, in order to get to a place, you know, bypassing like a locked door, uh, you end up going, uh, th you end up going through a pipe from like a boiler that, that, so you have to like figure out how to turn off this boiler and drain the water out so that you can use the pipe that runs it as, as a vent to crawl through to the next location. And like, it's kind of a puzzle figuring out how to do that, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a not a puzzle, puzzle like a crossword puzzle. Like, it's a puzzle right, like a cat. Right. It's, 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 yeah, it's a puzzle of like, all right, turn off. I'll try turning this lever and, uh, oh, okay. I think I need to turn this lever first. And, oh, this, it's still getting power from that junction box over there. So I need to go deal with that. So it's kind of a puzzle, but it's not like hard and it's, and it's all just sort of right there. But then again, the, there's also like a couple of major puzzles in the game that are like, here's a giant golden dome and you're given five different colored marbles and a, uh, 25 by 25 grid of little divots that you can put these five marbles into. And you have to have figured out throughout the course of the game, which, which, uh, which dome on the entire map of, of the actual place would be represented by what color marble and what play, what location on the map that dome is in so that you know to, you know, to think of this 25 by 25 grid as a map of the entire 
a group of islands and therefore where each dome is on that so you know where to put each marble. And that's like the main meta puzzle that runs across the entire game. So, so can it's, you it's, just it's run straight crazy. to that thing and solve it if you know? Uh, there, there's, there's more or less that you'd, you'd encounter a bunch of like the, the smaller puzzles I was talking about in turn for transversing from one place to the next. Cause I think you can get where, where you first land in the game, you can walk pretty much right up to that dome, but you can't get into it because the, the bridge is raised. So you have to get around back to, to the place that lowers the bridge and so on. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what a speed run of ribbon would be like. There probably are some out there. I'm, maybe I will watch your series if you just like if this is just you playing Riven, solving the puzzles, and you know how to do them, and you're explaining how they work. Uh, maybe that's my that's yeah. my best my best life as a Riven consumer. It is it, it, the the missed playthrough is more like that because there's there's more that I've forgotten in Riven than there is in Mist. But yeah, it'll still be more or less like that. Anything else? Uh, nah, not 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 to speak of. I played a little bit more Pokemon Black 2 while I was watching Kung Fu movies. That was about it. I um I put about an hour into Astroneer, which came out of early access. Um and it seems Had you played it before? Yeah, I had put a couple hours into it when it was in early access, and I couldn't tell you any differences between now and and then uh maybe because i just didn't get very far into it <clears throat> that's good you deform a lot of terrain and you gather a lot of resources and you you research things and you build them and um it's cute and you socket aluminum into little holes and then it turns it into a tractor uh and then you can drive the tractor for about 30 seconds before it runs out of power and i don't know what the fuck okay um are, sounds are like there, sounds like No Man's Sky. Are there aliens? I haven't encountered any aliens. I've encountered some mushrooms that if you dig out the ground under them, they release gas that kills you. Uh, so that sucks. Is, are there gas masks? I don't know. There's plants. Uh-huh. Those are Can you make gas a gas masks. mask out of a plant? I think eventually. Okay. What is a gas mask made of in the real world? Some rubber... Yeah, some like plastic. Kind of, or I don't know glass. what the filters are made of. Like a metal canister. The filter is probably like Charcoal. like penne or someone ravioli on a handkerchief. Penne? I think is what it is. Tor- tortellini, maybe. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> like a grid of straightened out elbow macaroni. <laughs> Tennis elbow macaroni. Uh, so I also, the thing that I've played the most, uh, is, uh, Star Wars, the old Republic. The original? Yeah. Well, no, the, the MMO. Uh, I, cause I was talking to David Bass and he, friend of the show, David Bass, who now works on Star Wars, the old Republic. And according to him, it's a good game. (laughs) Uh, really what happened according to him, uh, is that it finally, got to the point where I kept saying I wanted it to be over the years where playing it is just playing through the story missions for the class 
and the and the sort of story arcs for each planet that you're on and you don't have to do anything else to be leveled up and they've made the gear rewards so generous that you're not because it used to be you could buy like a 3x experience boost which made it so you were technically you could level just doing your class quests but you were super under geared and the combat was really hard if you did it that way and so you had to end up doing a bunch of other shit to just get better gear and so i always kind of bounced off of it as soon as it started getting hard but now they've just made the combat super easy. They've like cranked up the they've cranked up the effectiveness of your like partner characters. So they just like you're constantly being healed to full health. Like I have not had to worry except in like maybe two like climactic boss fights. I haven't even had to use like a healing potion hmm. or I'm sorry, a med pack. Um and so also you all flight paths are unlocked by default when you get to a new planet. The fast travel starts with like a six minute cooldown and you can use legacy perks to get it to a zero minute cooldown so that you can just instantly teleport to anywhere you've been at any time. Um, and partly like it's down to two minutes on my character because I like had a character at the level cap and that gave me enough legacy level to buy that perk. Legacy level is like a level that you earn across all of your characters and you unlock. It's kind of cool. Like there's every class has a, a buff that they can cast. And so like the smuggler had like a crit chance buff. And so that's just like an hour long and you can you can cast it on yourself or somebody else. Now that I've finished the main storyline with the smuggler any class that i use on the republic side gets the smuggler's buff in addition to their own buff when they cast that buff huh. and so that's just like you just get more powerful just hmm. by playing through more of the class storylines in a way that's pretty interesting um travel is super super streamlined you're kind of over leveled for everything all the time so the aggro radius on mobs is pretty low they have cranked up the yield of crafting material nodes out in the world by like 15x and the skill requirements are just ignored. It will still say you need you need 25 archaeology to loot this, but you don't like you can just loot it what? without. 20. So what are they rushing you through all this to get to? Is there like an end game? Uh, there is. There is an end game. Yeah. I mean, they want. Like, the stuff that they're selling now, the expansions that they're working on, are past the end of it. And David said that they're the, they made one that's essentially just like a telltale game. Like, they did some branching story stuff, and it's just so much more focused on that than it is on the it being an MMO. It's like the... I feel like the player economy must be in really weird shape. Like, I tried to go and buy... Because I wanted to, like, make some better gear for my guy just because i was like oh this it's so easy and fast to to gather crafting stuff and to level it up that it's like not it's just kind of a fun system to play with but i needed some there's there's like an economic balance aspect of that so i needed some stuff that i wasn't skilled for and there just wasn't really any in the auction house there were like i need you know, i need one of these gems and it's like well you can buy a stack of 100 for all of the money that you have but that's it. There's one stack of 100 in the auction house. But then I realized, oh, I could just take that skill and level it up within like 20 minutes to the point where I had those things. And so I did that. And I don't know 
like I don't know if there is player economic action anymore. It seems like it must have gotten super weird when everything got way easier to get. Hmm. Maybe including money. So, I mean, they, they do a lot of, apparently they do a brisk trade in just like, I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of the cash shop currency because I think I subscribed for a while after it went free to play. Like my subscription went on for a few months and every year they gave you an allotment. Every month they gave you an allotment of the cash shop currency when you were a subscriber. And so I had like three or 4,000 of these coins, which was enough to buy like a couple mounts and like some inventory space upgrades and some like some perks that I didn't have to pay for in the legacy system and stuff. But then also like for twice the amount that I had ever had, I could buy like a Kylo Ren lightsaber, (laughs) Uh, which just seems crazy. Like I have no idea how much actual cash it is to buy one of those, but I would imagine that it's 20 or 30 bucks. Jeez, but I'm pulling that out of my ass based on my the perceived value of other stuff that I bought. They've got all these weird, like, you can buy, like, a blind box that has, like, any mount that's ever been made in it. And has a, like, even the cheap ones have a chance of having a good mount in them. And it's, like, real, like... That seems very gambly. Yeah, it's real Blizzard, like, level of, like, open this loot box animation. And it's real crunchy and juicy and crazy. And that was pretty weird. I bought one, and I was like, all right, here's a new motorcycle i mean you know a speeder bike um because i had i had the only mount that i had on most of the characters is the one that i got for uh, buying the special edition when the game first came out and it was real stupid looking and so i was looking forward to were you finding just riding any... around on the back of a wookie <laughs> yep you were, you were riding around on a commemorative darth malgus statuette <laughs> um <clears throat> i see people on like tauntauns that's pretty cool Anyway, it the it is so fucking expensive. Like the the every one of the class storylines is like a fully voiced twenty hour. Oh, that kind of expensive story. Okay. Yeah, like I I think that the budget for that game was in the hundreds of millions, and it's I still kind of hate the fact that every line is voiced because it's just all right. My experience of these scenes is hearing the first couple syllables of everything yeah. until I'm done right. reading it and then yeah. going on to the next one. But like, it's the the class quests are as good as anything else in an MMO, right? Which is not like incredible, but it's it. The game really is now kind of just Knights of the Old Republic three through twelve, and three through. 10? There's eight classes. What's two plus eight? <laughs> I give up. I wish there was somebody who was really good at... I really wish there was somebody who was really good at math in this room. Yeah, nobody nobody fits that bill. Anyway, I'm like two-thirds... I've got maybe ten hours into this character that I've been playing, and I'm maybe two-thirds of the way through the the, the game. Like, the, the main story. And, like, that seems... Like, I'm not tired of the MMO combat after 10 hours. Maybe I will be after 20 hours, if that's what it takes to get through it. But, like, I'm... I think that I might see this through, and then I kind of want to play the Imperial Agent storyline, because I've heard that's the best one. Consensus is that the Jedi Knight is the most Star Wars story, and the Imperial Agent arc is the best 
story. And so I just I decided to do the Star Wars one. The only one that I've played through all the way is the Smuggler. Um, so is this a game you buy? I don't no, not anymore. It's hard. I don't actually understand the the tears uh, that I cry when I <laughs> try to think about whether I understand this game or not. Um, I my account is in some kind of preferred status, so it's not exactly free to play, but it's not a subscribed account, and I don't know how I got there or what that means. Right, it's very very weird. There's 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 these chicken shit things like you don't accumulate rest experience as a free to play player. You can't you can't turn off the display of your hat as a free to play player. <laughs> there's all these just like chicken shit nickel and dime things that don't really matter. But then so it's like all right, you can't you level slower as a free to play player except that you level so fast that you're leveling infinitely fast. And the quest rewards give you enough of what used to be cash shop experience boost items that you're you've always got the premium experience boost going. And so it's like, why it just, it seems like those, those free to play restrictions, all they're doing is engendering ill will at this point and not doing anything for game balance. It's, it's super weird. It's, it's like, it's like every decision is made by like, yeah, fuck it. Give it to him. Whatever. Just make it easy. Uh, and there's certain parts of it that they just haven't gotten to yet to to just like, oh, let's remove all the restrictions and crank up the rewards by 10x. Who fucking cares? It's like this isn't stopping us from selling Han Solo snowmobiles or whatever. So I saw someone complaining that their cousin, their like co- school aged cousin, like 10 or 11, was uh, like among his friends was calling people who didn't buy any Fortnite skins. He called them no skins. (laughs) (laughs) And so maybe, maybe the monetization strategy for the old Republic is they're monetizing bullying. Okay. Okay. Would that, does that jibe with what you've observed? Do you think that fits? I haven't been bullied. All those fools that are, Wearing hats like Have like you been morons, talking to ten or eleven year olds. No, no, I haven't been talking to anybody or interacting with any other players, or more or less seeing any other players, which really, <laughs> which really enhances the sense yeah, of this I've, as just a series of single player Star Wars RPGs. Like, is are the are the uh, the main class quests? Are they mostly instanced? They are mostly instanced, and they kind of always have been. In a way that's pretty clever, there's just doors that have, like, a green haze on them, and those, when you go in there, you just can't take anyone with you. It made it hard to play as multiple people. Um, I think you might have been able to go in, as long as you weren't the same class, maybe you could go in with a person to their class thing to help them but maybe not. I don't really remember. But then there's some doors that are like got a red haze on them because like, nope, you don't care about this particular room in the cantina because you're not a bounty hunter or whatever. Um, anyway, it's fun. Like just running around, just fucking dudes up with a lightsaber. I like that. Can you ever play as like, uh, the, like any of the really weird races? From- uh, they're all locked behind the cash shop. You can, I, I don't. Can you play as uh, that race that's half whatever race Darth Maul is, half mechanical spider? 
Well, what about the like uh, the Jabba Super Jabba Bowl Yoda? Uh, no, I don't think you can play a hut. That would be can, very can difficult guy, for them to animate. Can you animate. play the guy that plays the piano in Jabba's band? Yeah, Max Rebo. I don't I, know. It was was that is I thought Max Rebo was the singing one. Is Max mm. Rebo the weird blue elephant looking guy? Yeah, I think I think that's Max Rebo. I think oh, the singer okay. is Cy Snoodles. Oh, you're right. <laughs> well, I think the singer is I like hi. I'm pretending for a second that I don't know <laughs> the name of Cy Snoodles. I feel like Cy uh, Snoodles is a better name for an elephant looking thing. It's true. Uh but she had the lips on the long like the, like a proboscis with lips on the end, yeah. <laughs> super fucking gross. Okay, uh, so that's not that's not not a thing named size noodles. Okay. What are the guys called that play the clarinets? Uh, that that is, uh, I think the band you're talking about is Figure and Dan and the Modal Nodes. Uh, I don't know what race they are. I think they're all named all Dan because the, the two that I know their names are Figure and Dan and Barkwin Dan. Um, <laughs> So Dan might be Dan might be a last name and they're brothers. Okay. Um, You're definitely the jizz expert in the I room. am the jizz expert <laughs> in the room. Oh uh, boy. Uh so yeah, it's I don't know. There so far there have been two uh distinct devices capable of destroying an entire planet that I ha- that have been stolen from Republic R and D that I've then gone to to Jeez. neutralize. Yeah, they didn't. Um, didn't they have to build an entire Death Star to do that before? Those miniaturization. Tech. That, I they, mean, the guys in Japan are really figuring shit out. I think a lot of tech was lost from the old Republic days. You know. Okay. You go back to the planet from uh, Knights of the Old Republic one. But it's a couple hundred years later, and so it's like it used to be a city planet like Coruscant, but then it's kind of been reclaimed by nature. And that environment is really, really cool because it's like half jungle, half like here's an old hospital. Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway. We just took the jungle and the hospital planet and mm-hmm. rendered them in the same spot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, that one has these cool like particle effects that represent big chunks falling off of buildings on the horizon in the distance. Oh, wow. That's very good. Um, it's, you know, it's it's what seven or eight years old as a game at this point, but because it's got that kind of World of Warcraft visual aesthetic, it still looks really nice, and it's just like it, they just spent a lot of money making these worlds for you to go run around in and fuck dudes up with lightsabers. And it's, I don't know. I, I'm has it, is it profitable? I mean, I guess it, ha- it has to be like, yeah, you have to be making enough money to, to keep it going. I, I bet it's not profitable in the long term. I bet there's still, I don't, I, it, it seems very unlikely that they've made back the, the initial budget, but that they're making enough money to just keep it going because, because huh. now they just have to maintain it. Yeah, I don't have any idea. I mean, it it definitely I also I think maybe it did make back its budget. Yeah. It just didn't make back a thousand X its budget like World of Warcraft did, and everybody thought of it as as a failure because of that. Because it was only incredibly successful, not like historically successful. Uh but I, I could did be wrong. Did they take about VC? That. Or not? I don't know. Um. Anyway, that's that's it. That's all. 
I played a little Snake Pass. Hmm. Uh, it is a weird game. It is a weird game. I like it, but it's also frustrating. Yep. And I feel like that's going to be true the whole time. How how far are you into it? Um, I don't know. I've like how how many levels have you have you found another like another art style yet? Like another environment? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're probably not. I I don't think I got much further than where you are. Okay. I I yeah I found that game to like it's an interesting idea. Uh, but they couldn't figure out how to ramp up the difficulty, so they just kind of increase the amount of space between spaces checkpoints effectively they, there's no checkpoints in the game but like between places where you're safe oh yeah yeah i i think that they they are getting sort of more either creative or obnoxious about where they hide things depending on your point sure, of view yeah. um but yeah uh, yeah it's it's such an interesting idea the, the, like i had never really considered what it must be like to be a snake. Yeah. So describe the mechanics for the listeners. Yeah. So you move. You have one of your buttons is wiggle. Basically, it's like slither. Maybe is the is the word they use, uh-huh. uh, which moves you forward very slowly. If that's all you push, is just is just to sort of slither. You're just sort of like very very slowly moving in a straight line. Um, if you sort of push left or right your you like turn your head and then you can sort of get into these like sort of s shaped curves or whatever and that actually remarkably increases your speed um i don't exactly understand how the physics of any of this stuff works but it's just that it works yeah i'm i'm curious like i do not have an intuition for the physics of how snakes move me either and i'm wondering like how much of this is a sim versus how much me, is a, they're like, well, it probably, probably works like this or it would probably be fun if we did it this way. Uh, and then there's a button that sort of like raises your head, uh, which is uh, which is OK. It it has it's it, it acts differently every time I click on it, it feels like, which I don't understand exactly what's going on there. I don't know if that's like. If you're sit from a, if you're completely stopped and you lift your head versus if you're like moving and you lift your head, maybe those are two different scenarios or whatever and then you can sort of like combine everything so you can now like wrap yourself around a pole and if you've if you can wrap yourself around a pole you can sort of like use the friction of your body against the pole to get kind of higher than you could otherwise I remember there being like a button to tighten your grip around the thing you're there is a button and i have literally never noticed it doing a goddamn thing. Okay. It is, it's supposed to, like, I, I got the impression that they say, oh, if you're wrapped around something, hold this button to, like, to hold your grip. And, like, it, I, I fall right off of it if that's the only thing that I'm holding. So I don't okay. understand. Do what, you only ever try it when you're on, like, greased poles? I have, I don't <laughs> think they provided greased poles. Um, you would think that a game about being a snake clinging to things, one of the first hazards they would introduce would be a greased pole. They just all you have to do is just have so the the whole game is on these floating islands and so you are constantly falling off of the edge to your death. Uh, if the island was floating, why wouldn't you just like break off a piece of dirt and hang on to it? Because <laughs> then you couldn't fall. <laughs> it's an excellent question. I don't I don't know the answer. Yes. Um. Yeah, and they inevitably put like the sort of like hidden coins or whatever, like just. 
at the very end of the stick that you have to like very carefully wind yourself around, grab, and then come back. And if at any point in that process you like screw up and like lift your head up off the pole just a little too far, you just fall off into into your doom, and you have to go back to your the most recent checkpoint, which can be pretty far away. Mm. Um, I the the, like the combination of enjoying of enjoyment and like frustration is extremely strong with this game and it's <laughs> I, you know i'm i'm very pleased that it was made but i don't i don't know that i i'm fundamentally happy with it uh yeah i don't i don't know how to describe that it, exactly it feels like you know how people sometimes complain that nobody publishes negative results in a scientific journal yeah i do I've complained like that. I think this is an example of someone publishing a negative result. Like, <laughs> we thought this game would, oh, it's not. Well, we'll publish it anyway. Sure. Yeah, it's weird that you would go to the trouble of finishing again. Like, you know, because, like, typically you you understand that a thing is fun, and then it's like, well, fuck, now I, I have to do all the work of making I the game. I feel like a lot of games aren't fun till very late. Very late in the process of making them. Yeah. Not very late in the process of playing yes. them. Yeah. How does how does that how why do you spend all the time on it if it's not Because you believe that it's gonna be You fun. believe that it will eventually be. You believe be fun. that all the, the the problems are the like the technical limitations or the like you don't have enough or work systems. you haven't done yet. Yeah. yeah. Um or this is always sticking to like a tried and true thing like making a number get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's almost always fun. Making a snake get bigger. Yep. Classic mechanic. Right. They didn't they didn't even lean on that. You never eat anything beside it and see anything that where you eat something and you get bigger. Oh, it's it's so they they couldn't make the snake jokes because ukulele had already gotten the the trouser. Oh, tra- the, the, well, the, the snake. The snake the, in, in this one's called noodle, which I like. Yeah. It's it's not as good as the the design where the snake is wearing shorts by going in one leg and out the other. Okay. If a snake wore pants, would it wear them like this or like this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, right. Snake pants really just makes me wish ukulele was been, had been good. <laughs> snake pants. Uh, well, guys, I got to hit the road pretty soon. Should okay. we talk about our assignments? Sure. Well. Do not feed the monkeys. Do not feed the monkeys. Um, so this is a game about... Uh, surveilling people on cameras and learning things about them by using Google and uh, and uh, uh, deductive reasoning and being poor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Having living a real uh, subsistence, uh, you occasionally have to go like wash dishes at a restaurant uh, in order to have money. Um, it's like the surveillance thing seems like it's a job, but they require you to spend a bunch of money on it, or they fire you, and they don't really pay you. <laughs> right. uh, it seems yeah. so. You you can earn money by doing this. But yeah, but I mean, by solve it, you earn money by like solving levels, but it is not nearly enough money to sustain. You have like a food meter and a tiredness meter and you can like, you know, this this game really reminded me of a like a early 90s PC game. It has an art style of like a yeah. Sam Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has that very sort of uh, uh, LucasArtsy sort of pixel art. It, and an interaction style that kind of is a little bit genre defying. Like yeah. it, it reminds me of a game from before the time when genres became as ossified yeah. as they eventually became. Yeah. Um, I so it seems like you can solve 
basically that like you can eventually get a given camera feed to the point where it says you don't have to there's nothing else to do here you don't have to pay attention to this anymore and i i got to that with a couple of them and then there was not like i couldn't i got just completely stuck on the like old dictator one and couldn't Hmm. So is there I couldn't even get the I couldn't even get them to ask me a question about that. Do like, we know if there's like a meta structure to this? Do all the stories add up to something or I was getting the impression that the different feeds are separate, but maybe not. Maybe there is some sort of but I didn't get far enough into it to to know. Or maybe or like this a story happens to the protagonist while observing all this stuff. Yeah, maybe. I accepted a plant from some Door-to-door yeah, religious people. <laughs> Maybe that becomes something. A slightly bigger a larger plant. plant. Yeah. 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 I got an autographed picture of an, a famous actress and then sold it uh, ac- by accident. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I found the, the like money and, and meter management parts of this to be really stressful and it kind of made me yeah. want to stop playing that, it. That, like, that, that I was turned me off to this pretty quick was not not just the the money and meter management so much as the strict schedules and and time allotments in which to like a, a, like a, a sim a sim game where they tell you you have to achieve this by this amount of time like that's that's too much stress for me I don't want to play that at the very beginning, I thought there was an option to turn off or at least way dampen the like all, food and I yeah, I think all that does is affect meters. your food and sleep meters. But that's you, that's where most of the like now while you still have to you you still have to pay the your rent, rent every the, three yeah, days that, and you have to buy a certain every number three of days. Yeah, it's every three yeah. days that oh, I didn't realize that. Days. Like I has you there still have ever to buy all those cameras too. Has there ever been a game where paying the rent is fun? Like I, I don't <laughs> So I so I would make an argument that the hunger system in NetHack is important to the design. Yeah. But okay, so eating in games is fun because you can imagine yourself eating all the weird shit that you find in the game, right? right but like right. paying rent is I can imagine myself paying all the weird rent. <laughs> I get okay, so I mean I guess like oh, I'm going to rent a marshmallow castle, <laughs> right? That I guess that's fun. That'll but take like care of my food meter But too. just like here in this part of the game, <laughs> oh man, if you eat that your rental, oh you man, how, you're yeah. not getting your you deposit don't get your, back. You don't get your deposit back unless your deposit was a bunch of marshmallows oh. and then they just use it to repair the castle when you leave. <laughs> which is filling in all these bite marks with toothpaste. Toothpaste. Yeah. Oh god. No. The next the next person is going to be so pissed oh. when they eat this. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but just paying the rent is boring, right? Like it, it's it, like taxes are not ever fun in a game. I don't, yeah, it's I a weird, it's a like, weird choice as a stressor, right? It's because like, you know, okay, whatever games are not always supposed to be escapism, you know, papers. I'm sure you have to pay your rent in papers, please, or whatever, but it's abstract. You don't have to like press a button to pay your rent every three days. I do think that this is like, I don't know if it was cart life that started this genre, but the being Mm. poor and deal with poor people stuff is, I think that's an indie game subgenre now. This doesn't, this doesn't feel the same to me because it's, at least as far as I know, uh, it is such a like weird fictional context, whereas cart life. Yeah. Like that stuff isn't, isn't the main focus of it. It's just all this background hassle. Right. 
um, her life was like, what, what would it be like to live a life as this person? What are the decisions you have to make? Whereas this one is, those are just burdens on your, your mental space. It's certainly Cart, cart like, life was like a, what would it be like to play a game with the worst UI ever put in a video game? That's what being poor is like, Zach. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like being poor is like, I have some hot dog buns and some peanut butter, but I cannot figure out how to use either of these things to sate my hunger. I guess that does, yeah. That is a real problem for poor people in this. What do you What are you going to do with those two things? Maybe the intention was that you had to buy hot dog buns and hot dogs, or you couldn't eat either of them. But that's not the way the fucking world works. Like you, this, you've posed a world so bleak that <laughs> you're not even allowed to just eat peanut butter right out of the jar. It's got a lot of calories. Yeah. You can't can't put peanut butter on a hot dog bun. You need peanut butter buns. Hot dog buns are were, ch- a cheap source of calories. That's what. If this were hot dog buns and mayonnaise, I would be on the game's side. Above it not letting you do it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but it wouldn't but be like. I've totally eaten like peanut butter on a hot dog bun. That shit's delicious. Wait, have <laughs> you really? Yeah, I have. That's weird. Did you yeah. toast it at least? What? I don't have that kind of time. Why, why would you do that? Why not just eat peanut butter on a hot dog bun? Well, it just doesn't seem like it would be very good. Oh, but it is, though. I mean, it's no different than peanut butter on bread. It's just a yeah, peanut that's butter also sandwich. Not, that's not very good. Well, okay. If, if, oh. if that's the perspective you're starting from. How about peanut butter on a spoon? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. that's, that's all right. Uh, Riff, you chose our... Well, oh, do yeah. we have any final thoughts about this? I mean, it's... I, I, I was into it. I wanted to know what was going on. I had not yet gotten to the point where I was like being super annoyed by the meters, but I, I only got to play. You know, I hadn't either, but I hour. thought that I was annoyed by it, right? It, it's it, like they weren't that onerous, but they made me feel bad. Okay. Yeah. That's where I was too. Like I never got below like, you know, two thirds full on my hunger meter. And it's like. It was just felt like a hassle. It felt like, fuck, I, I, all I want to do is solve the mysteries in these camera feeds, but I have to keep going yeah, yeah. and clicking the thing to work. And then that like basically makes it so it's a, now a random time of the day. So yeah. now I so don't know. So you have know. no idea what you've missed on the camera feeds. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it just was like, boy, this would be better if I didn't have to worry about this. Like my life would be better if I didn't have to worry about paying rent. Uh, what is the name of the game that we're playing for our next assignment, Riff? Uh, the next game is called Art School, but it's school spelled with a Q instead of a K. I, I don't really know anything <laughs> about it, except, uh, except that, uh, uh, someone, someone that I follow on Twitter recommended it. And although I don't remember who it was, I, I feel like it was someone that, that whose opinions I respect. So it, I don't know. It looked interesting and weird. Cool. Uh, cool. Spelled with a Q. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of a K. Um, gentlemen, I think we've really turned it around with this episode number 360 of Video Games Hot Dog, and I hope we do it again real soon. Uh, it's going to get technically will. challenging. Kevin is going to be 19, in 19 hours in country the redacted for the next two months. <laughs> um, I don't want our listeners to collectively rob you. Kevin is convinced that our listeners are listening only 
as a as okay, a so ruse. apparently you have never robbed any of the podcasts that you listen to. I'm, that's that's the message that I'm getting. It's fine. It's it's a lifestyle choice. I did steal a lock of Jake Rodkin's hair. <laughs> that's funny because. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> listeners, I hope you'll join us. Cockabooboobalaya. Spelled with a Q. <laughs> Good night. Good night, everybody.